Welcome to the Build Podcast, a ministry of the Next Gen team of First Baptist Owasso. We believe the next generation, the children being raised right now, will change the world. They matter to God, to you, and to us. In this episode of Build, Denise Lopez talks about kid missionaries. Every day you can make a difference in a life of a child. You are not alone. This is Build. Well, um, we are going to talk about having our kids on mission and being on mission um, and kind of what that looks like to raise up gospel goers. Um, And it's funny, of course, always feel inadequate to talk about this because you know what? We're still trying to figure it out ourselves. But, um, oh, goodness, uh, we've come a long way, though. And so um, I remember the first time. I guess my husband and I have gone on mission trips, a lot of mission trips, but my kids wanted to go on a mission trip, and um, AJ was in the sixth grade, and Anderson was in the seventh grade, and our church was going to Mexico, and so we went to the, you know, parent meeting and information meeting, and so, you know, I'm like, oh, yes, this is awesome. Yes, you guys can go. This is great, and I turned to Carl, and I said, you're going with them, because, you know, like, I mean, I mean, my kids aren't going on a mission trip without one of us there, and so uh, now we've come out long way to where I mean we've taken our family to Brazil once we've taken um, our kids to Ghana twice all of our and so AJ's been to Nepal um, for three weeks I mean our kids have been on mission and it's funny now because what is like was so oh my goodness I don't know about that now is normal like oh yeah I'm going here this summer going to do this going to do that and and uh, going to Africa and I love that my kids think it's normal that their mom goes to Africa. And so now what's so normal to us, I mean, it used to be like, what? What are you doing? That's so crazy. Um, the first family mission trip that we went on, uh, we, went to, we went to Brazil. So in 2011, I was in Brazil um, with my church from Tennessee. And we were doing kind of like a humanitarian um, gospel sharing thing where we and we were washing their feet. We were doing like a dental clinic and all that. But I was washing these little street children's feet and then giving them shoes, new tennis shoes, and then sharing the gospel. And it was the Holy Spirit, I know. But I mean, I'm doing that. I'm down on the ground, and I thought my kids could totally do this. Like my kids could do this. And so then I went home and I told Carl that. And so the very next year we were took all four of our kids to Ghana. So our youngest was eight. They were eight, 11, 14, and 15. And so someone earlier asked me, um, how did you do that? And so my trip um, was paid for um, by my church in Tennessee. They had asked me to go with them. We were living in Tulsa at the time, but they asked me to go with them, and they paid my way to go. And then we paid our family, Carl, we paid for Carl's way, but then my kids wrote letters and raised money and, you know, um, did some fundraisers. And so they paid um, for their way to go. And so um, I went on ahead and then Carl actually brought all four of the kids uh, nine days later by himself. And so really he probably should be the one (laughs) that is like talking about kids on mission. Um, But we get there, the kids get there. And then the next morning we were already up doing the clinic and, um, our eight-year-old, Austin Olivia, she just had a, like, total meltdown. And I'm just like, oh, my word, this is going to be a long nine days. And, like, we have totally messed up. And so I was like, oh, no, what are we going to do? And, you know, then I, I was just like, man. So we're eating lunch. She's still just bawling. So I'm holding her in my lap, eating my rice and beans. And um, 
she's just sobbing, and I'm like, man, we messed up. Well, then she fell asleep, so she was tired. So I go, we were kind of in a clinic where I, like, use that term loosely, clinic, and we went, um, I went into this room, which was really kind of the um, uh, education room for women's hygiene and reproduction, and so there are these posters all over the wall of that. And there was a mat, so I laid her in there. She was asleep, and I just remember thinking, Lord, please, when she wakes up, don't, don't like, let this damage her for life, and I'll have to get her in counseling. When she wakes up and sees these crazy-looking posters at the age of eight all over, all over this room. So, But you know what? She woke up, and the rest of the week was awesome. And so I think, though, that sometimes our fear, like, oh, what if I take my kid and they have a meltdown? Well, they might. You know, I mean, I'm 54. I might want to have a meltdown sometimes when I'm in a foreign country. And so, um, but it is, it has been such a blessing and a joy. And I think life changing. I mean, I think it has honestly probably altered the path, um, of, of our children because we chose to do that and let them be on mission in a foreign country from early ages on. And I started to have my husband, um, help me put together a video. Um, uh, we have awesome pictures. I mean, you know, we have a picture of my son and my husband that are, they're baptizing this, um, Ghanaian man, African, and, and pulling him up out of the water. And we have pictures of our little Ostie. She decided, um, we went at Christmas time to Ghana and she decided, cause we had been reading the story of the candy cane, you know, how it came to be. And that kind of, you do a gospel presentation through the little candy cane. Well, she heard that at church or whatever. And so then she got the idea that she wanted to do that in Ghana, came up with it on her own. And so we go to Sam's, we buy 3,000 of those little bitty, you know, candy canes. And so we have a picture of Austin standing on this big rock with her interpreter sharing the gospel. And um, then I have a picture of my three of my three, my three girls having their hair braided by um, these girls that have been rescued from trafficking. I mean, so we have these awesome pictures. So, like, we could have put great music to it, and we all would have been crying and been like, that is awesome. But here's what I'm wrestling with in my own heart is that um, because all those pictures are true and God moved. But then also I feel like now in the church and in missions and in even in our homes and in social media, for sure, we need less hype and more obedience. And so that's why I didn't do that. But then when I got here and I saw everybody else had their little videos, I'm like, oh, I should have done a video. But it's true. You know what? That is that is the honest truth. We have so much hype surrounding um, ministry and Christianity and all of that um, that we really need more obedience now. That's exactly what we need. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, God is at work. I mean, that's the thing that if you grow up in a little in a, in a country church, you know, here's what I've discovered is God is at work all over the world. And sometimes we think that we have to have whatever, you know, we can put whatever, whatever in a phrase. We think we have to have this for God to move. And he just doesn't need that. And I think that's one of the things about taking your kids on foreign mission trips, especially that helps us to see, to realize that. And I love that. Um, and you know, then we went to Ghana this summer and, um, I took our youngest daughter with us and, um, we get home and two weeks later she contracted malaria 
And so then, you know, there's all the people like, see, you shouldn't, it's dangerous. You shouldn't take your kids, you know, on mission trip and, and look what can happen and, and all of those things. But, you know, the truth is this, is that, yes, I mean, that it's not always the safest thing to have your kids on mission. And there needs to be a balance between, like, what is smart and safe and wise and what is trusting God. And so uh, she's fine now and she's great and, and she's getting rested still. But. You know, they're always going to be the naysayers. Like, oh, I don't think you should take your kids. But listen, we've got to be, we've got to listen to what God says to us more than we have to listen to what people say to us. Um, I, and and uh, I named that our little, little sheet here um, and really this uh, breakout. Yes, we can. I mean, we can raise up gospel goers. And so... Um, I have five weekend statements. And so the first one is this. We can and should do here what we would do there. And so what I mean by that is, is like if, you know, because we do go to Ghana, we do go to Nepal, we are involved in, in overseas missions. And so if we go over there and we love on people that um, are, you know, impoverished and they're poor and um, all of those things, then you know, if we're not doing that here in Tulsa, then really what we're doing, it's a little bit disingenuous, you know, and so it's, it's not authentic. And, um, you know, so there's different, there's a few different ministries that you can do that through, I know here in Tulsa. So our family does that through Filling the Void. We're involved. It's a homeless ministry um, in downtown Tulsa. And every Friday at noon, they feed the homeless. And like, you could take kids to that. You could go yourself and be involved in that. But, um, you know that then you are doing you are doing what you do overseas here in the streets of Tulsa because I also will tell you this there are the poor and the fatherless and the homeless all over the world and even right here in Owasso um, and then I think whatever your whatever your church is involved in ministry wise and missions wise you know especially if it's right here in in Owasso or in Tulsa, you need to get your kids involved in that. Have your kids be a part of what your church is on mission doing. And then also the thing about doing that is then your um, that becomes a part of who your kids are. You know, when you do here at home what you do over there on the foreign mission field, then it becomes a part of who they are. And my daughter, um, our oldest one, is in the... Um, she is in Austin, Texas, and she teaches second grade. And so when we, you know, I've told people that uh, my daughter teaches in Austin, immediately they start naming all these places. Like, oh, is she in this area or that area? Like the hoity-toity, the whoop-de-doo Austin area. And, you know, they say, oh, and I'm like, no, actually, she's in inner city Austin in a, you know, Hispanic bilingual school. And last year, three of her kids' parents were in prison. And so really, I love that that has been instilled in our kids. And they know that they can do here what we've done over there. And she's doing that as an occupation. I mean, she's a teacher. But really, I mean, she's in an area where they need to be loved on. And they need the gospel. And they need, they need somebody believing in them and loving on them as well as educating them. And so that's what happens when we do here what we do there. And the second thing is this, that... We can create an environment um, in our home for missions. Um, we can create an environment in our home 
for missions. I recently started a podcast about six months ago, um, and it is a podcast of stories of people on mission or just stories of God doing great things. And so the name of the game in a podcast is to get a famous person, um, you know, to to let you interview them. And so then that famous person, famous teacher, speaker, preacher, or whatever, can um, they'll tweet or post or whatever. Oh, I'm on Every Day with Denise. And then all these people will start to listen to your podcast. Well, the thing is, I don't want any famous people on my podcast. I want real-life stories of real people, and the, and mostly they're people in Tulsa, and or if not, in Oklahoma. Um, they're not at some around the world, but mostly they're just right here in Tulsa. Because the thing is, I love a great story, but also I love a story um, where then you can be involved. I want you to hear what God's doing here, and then you can say, oh, my goodness, that's in Owasso. That's in Tulsa. I can be involved. And so that's why we started it. But I, last week um, we had... Um, the Barkies, and they are a sweet young family that I know, and they um, took their family on mercy ships uh, for four years. Um, Brian was the head, the lead anesthesiologist, and so they they were over there for four years, and they've just recently come home. So I asked them to share about that. And so if you on your iPhone, if you have that, it's a little purple dot, and you can uh, click on there and search, and it's every day with Denise. But um, so a few, it's been about a year and a half ago, um, I started to ask myself, you know, like about this, like, am I, have I created an environment in our home? And, and so what that looks like is, I mean, have your kids see the way that you spend your money. They see the way that you spend your influence with others. They see the way that you, um, you know, I mean, the, what, what's important to you by your lifestyle. And um, so I wrote this um, about a year and a half ago, and um, it says, "No, this is what I wrote in a journal. No one would say, I do not care about the vulnerable or the least of these. But do I care enough to inconvenience myself and my family? And if I were being totally honest, the answer is, is probably no. And so I know that we were doing great things um, out of our excess or out of even our excess time or out of whatever. But it never was really a great lifestyle change or an inconvenience to us. And I don't think ministry is not is not something that you're going to hate, that you'll do, you know, begrudgingly. I mean, you ministry is exciting, and it's an honor, and it is a joy. And sometimes it's very hard. But, you know, that's the thing is that um, sometimes we don't want to inconvenience ourselves to be on mission. And so I had to look at my life and say, you know, um, am I doing that? And Because I want to do that. God, I want to be that person. And. That says, God, whatever you ask, I mean, whatever it costs, I want to follow you. Um, one of my favorite books about being on mission um, is called The Hole in Our Gospel. And my friend that we go to Brazil with, um, Gary, told me to read this. And I said, I'm not reading that book. I don't like the title. There's not a hole in our gospel. I was like, I don't, I don't think that's right. And I didn't like it. For years, I did not read this book. And so then I picked it up and read it, and I absolutely loved it. Um, but so it's by the director of World Vision, Richard Stearns, and this is what, and he what had been the CEO of, I think, Parker Brothers Toys, um, and then right after that, he'd gotten a job um, at uh, Linux 
China. He was the CEO of Linux China. So here he goes from, you know, this community of the finest of the finest things, China, selling that to people, marketing that to people that they only use once a year, right, at Christmas, <laughs> to being the director of this third world country, impoverished, gospel-taking ministry. And so this is what he said. Several months ago, after I came to World Vision and moved my family to Seattle, my son Andy and I were running some errands around town. All of this had been a pretty major family and lifestyle adjustment, and even the kids were hurting as they struggled to fit in and make new friends. That day, Andy and I were sitting at a traffic light in our six-year-old minivan, not a cool vehicle by any standard, for a 17-year-old boy. Just then, a shiny new Jaguar XK8 pulled up next to us. One just like the company car that had been mine a few months earlier. Andy looked at it wistfully and sighed. Dad, I guess those days are gone, he said. Yeah, Andy, I think they are, I answered. But Dad, Andy went on, do you think you'll ever get back in the game for one last kill? I had to laugh at the choice of words. He was asking whether I thought that someday I would leave World Vision and become a corporate CEO again with all of the associated perks. Andy, I said, for the first time in my life, I feel like I'm in the real game. I'm in God's game. That's the bottom line for all of us. Whose game are we in? Our own or God's? We don't have to be in full-time ministry to be in God's game, but we do have to serve God full-time as stewards of all that he's given us. And if we're in God's game, we need to put the American dream to death because God's game is a different game altogether. And that is extremely um, convicting because, you know, there's not anything, there's nothing. I, I, and I don't, want to, I don't want anybody to hear, like, I think a, a nice house is wrong or nice cars are wrong. But I do think when that is our, those are our goals and those are our aspirations, then that is wrong. Because our goal should always be, God, how can I glorify you? Whether, it, you know, whatever that's through. And so, um, you know, the thing is our kids see that. Our kids see the choices we make, and they see the choices that, you know, we could make and we didn't. And so um, we all know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Like we know we know the story, and that, like that's the story that, um, uh, I mean, you can't use flannel, flannel board, you know, to teach on because it's like, no, nope, we're, not, we're not using that. And so we always think, yeah, Sodom and Gomorrah, they were bad. I mean, that was awful people. And so, but do you know what the sin of, of, of Sodom was? Well, Ezekiel 16:49 tells us, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. Wow. I'm like, hmm. And I have always thought, I'm, I'm not like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. But then when I read this, I'm like, am I prideful? Yeah, there, um, there are times I'm arrogant and I'm prideful. Um, do I have excess of food overfed? Clearly. <laughs> you know, am I, um, it's so funny in the ESV here, it says prosperous ease. Like just, you know. I'm unconcerned about like anything for anybody else other than myself. 
And there are times that I've, I've felt like that and, I, and did not care about the poor and needy. And so, you know, I've really, I mean, the Lord, I think, and when I'm saying this to you guys, I mean, honestly, I've, I say it to myself. Like, I'm just trying to think out loud, Lord, you know, how can we make a difference in the world? And so I look at that verse and I'm like, okay, well, I mean, you know, sometimes there, changes need to be met need to be made um and so um the next one is that the the third thing we can model the third statement we can model for our children what it looks like to put someone on our donkeys well of course you all know the story of the good samaritan it's in luke luke chapter 10 and um you know the good samaritan he saw the guy on the side of the road left beaten up and left for dead and and so he puts him on his donkey and he takes him to the place to get care and he says hey you know if this isn't enough money i'll when i come back i'll i'll pay for whatever i need to and so um and truth is anymore there's not anybody left we're not going to run across anybody probably left on the side of the road left for dead and beaten up you know i mean if we do we need to call the police and figure all that out but um I would say there are kids, there are people that are left on the side of the road dead spiritually, emotionally, relationally. And and God asks us to pick them up and put, up, put them on our donkey and take them to get taken care of and get what they need and get them help. And sometimes I think when we look at that, we feel like we have to do everything. Like, you know, like if all of a sudden we start to have an interest or, or we feel like God's putting in us a heart for homeless, well, then all of a sudden we feel like, well, I think I'm probably going to have to, you know, have all the homeless people move in with me now because i got two empty beds upstairs because my kids are, you know, growing up and moving out. And may be the case, but also may not be the case. We just, whatever God asks us to do, here's what I think that Satan wants to do. He wants us to take it to the extreme to them where we don't obey. You know, like you get a heart for the homeless. Oh, if you get a heart for the homeless, and this is what God's going to want you to do. And then you're like, okay, yeah, I know. And so we, um, all he's asking us to do is put people on our donkeys. He's not asking us to have it all figured out and, and do all that. And so how that's looked in our family um, over the last few years um, or several years ago, actually, is when Laura Dester's shelter was open, um, I made friends with one of the workers there. His name was Ulysses. And when the shelter would get full, um, he'd call and say, hey, can you come get some a sibling group? Because we have four kids, and when they were all at home, like they all wanted their own kid to play with. Like, you know, okay, if you bring some kids home, everybody gets, gets their own little friend. So one time we got these two kids, Zach and Isaiah, and uh, Zach and Isaac. I always say Isaiah. Zach and Isaac. And so um, get them, and I had to go to Wednesday night, set up Bible study, and did all that. And then I t- we took them to eat at Schlotsky's. And so this little... Um, Isaiah, he, um, he, I don't guess he'd ever had strawberry Coke or pop or what, strawberry Shasta. And so we go over there, he fills it up, and he starts drinking it. And he was like, you know, and I'm like, come up for air. Like, he was just, he was so good. He wasn't, and he, he sets it down, and he goes, ah, oh, that was good. You got to ditch yourself some. Because he could not say, you know, his L's, his R's, his nothing. And so that kind of became our family little thing to say, oh, that was good. But, you know, uh, we and we only had them a few nights, but we just fell in love with them and um, took them. They got a, a uh, like long-term foster family. And so while we're driving out um, to take them back to the shelter, I turned to Avery and I said, I'm just going to tell you right now, if we get there 
And that's just like, you know, this mean old looking lady, we're keeping them. Because, and I had in my mind, like, what I think of foster care, you know, typically in the movies, the foster care mom looks like. And she was awesome. So she said, uh, we get there, and it was going to fixing to be Zach's birthday. And he said, hey, it's fixing to be my birthday. And she said, I know, and we're going to have a party. And I thought, okay, I love her so much. Because, and so, you know, God didn't ask us to keep those boys long term. And I think, you know, and I and she didn't have children of her own, her and her husband. And I just think, what if we had said, oh, man, we feel like we're supposed to keep them. We love, they're the sweetest boys. They really weren't there a little bit wild. But, you know, we're supposed to keep them. Then we keep her from being blessed and what God wanted to do in her life. And so God is not asking us to save the world. He's just asking us to go and put some, you know, put a kid on their, put a kid on your donkey. Um, we've had to ask our family so does our family, does your family have margin in our time and in our finances to be on mission? Like, so another way of saying that might be, does your family um, have margin in your time and in your finances to say yes to God? Whatever he's asking. Because the thing is, you're going to have to say, and I'm, I've had to say and going to have to say no to some things in order to say yes to what God wants us to do sometimes. Um Number four, the fourth thing, we can protect our children out of being effective for the gospel. So we can protect our children out of being effective for the gospel. A um, few years ago, I, well, it's not a few years ago, it's only been out a year and a half, a year and a half ago, um, I read this book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Um, by Rosaria Butterfield. It's one of my favorite books. Honestly, this is like a life book. I mean, this is a life guide for me. This crazy book. I have written margins and in the margins of it. And God has spoken uh, in a great way to me through this Bible. I mean, through the other than the Bible, this book. Um, so, Eden was leading, Eden Trentham was leading worship at the uh, women's BGCO thing. So we were all, so Brandon and Eden and I were in the little break room or whatever, and we were eating snacks. And so I'm telling them, this book, I'm just like, oh my goodness, this book is awesome. And this book is so convicting, and this book is hard to read. And I'm telling them all the things that this book is. And um, Brandon grew up in my neighborhood. So Brandon was, he and his sister, um, his family lived in my neighborhood. And um, so I had been reading this um, paragraph, and I shared it with them. We sometimes fear that our neighbors will bring into our homes problems and issues that we are not ready to discuss in front of our children. We pit the command to nurture and teach our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord against the command to love our neighbor. So I was telling them about how I'd been reading this, and oh my goodness, and then I said, Brandon which I didn't know his mom and dad were going through a divorce. Their family was in crisis. And so I said, Brandon, I'm a cookie maker. Why on earth did I not ever make cookies and say, hey, do you guys want some? You kids want any? Because he and his little sister used to ride on those little razor motorized scooter thingies through the neighborhood, you know. Like Haley was in the third grade, and here she is riding on that thing following her big brother and you know in the summer she'd out on her little bikini top and her Sophie shorts and really I don't know that I ever said this but I thought yeah my kids aren't gonna go run around and do that I mean my kids were like you ride your bike in the cul-de-sac and don't you get outside of the cul-de-sac you're not riding a razor scooter down the the road but 
I look now, and, um, you know, I said, why? I was like, why didn't I ever do that? Eden turned to me, and she was like, Denise, you should have. They needed you. I start bawling right there. And so Brandon, he's giving Eden a hard time. He's like, Eden. And she's like, I'm sorry. But they, she, they, you did. You did. And so we kind of, we always joke about that. But the truth is the Lord spoke to me about that and said this. You know, God's hand was on Brandon Trentham's life. And, and on Haley's too. And so the truth is, you know what, God, I'm the one that missed out on the blessing. Because now I could have told the story like, oh, my goodness, Brandon and Haley were in our neighborhood. And their mom and dad were going through a divorce. And, you know, we just, we got to love on them. That wasn't the story. And so really that's what I think about being on mission, whether that's in our neighborhood or whether that's, you know, around the world, is that God's going to do it. And, if, and he asked us to come along and be a part of it. And if we if we don't, we're the ones that miss the blessing because he's going to do it. His word tells us that he's going to do that. And so um, I don't want to miss out. I mean, I think that's the bottom line that Carl and I have just decided, like, we don't want to miss out on what God's, you know, I mean, what God's going to do. And we want to be a part of it. Um, the last thing is this. We can pray for our kids to have a heart for God. And I guess I could have said, and typically at a missions conference, I, I should have said, the truth is for your kids to have a heart for God, um, to, to have a heart for God, to have a heart for missions. And, but the truth is, you know what, if, you're, if your kids have a heart for God, then they will have a heart for missions. Because that's God's heartbeat. His heartbeat is missions, to go into all the world. He told us to do that. Um, so there's a couple of verses that I pray for our, um, our kids. One of the I've been praying this verse, Anderson's 25, so probably since she was about two years old um, and A.J. was about six months old, um, out of Numbers 14:24, And it says, um, my servant Caleb has followed me wholeheartedly and has a different spirit about him. And so the Lord just impressed in my heart to pray three things for our kids out of that. And the first one is, is that they would serve God, my servant Caleb. So my kids would serve God. And the second is, is that they would follow him wholeheartedly. And then the third is that they would have a different spirit about them than other kids. And so that's something that I've prayed for my kids. And, um, and here's the awesome thing. Over the years, we've seen God, you know, answer that. And we've seen fruit from that. Um, then I also, um, have prayed number, I mean, yeah, numbers 1330, which is, I mean, I never went to go find verses and numbers to pray over my kids. The Lord just, you know, these, the Holy Spirit just tapped me on the shoulders, shoulder whenever uh, I read these verses and said, this is start praying this for your kids. But it's um, numbers 1330 and it says, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let's go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. And I've always prayed for my children that they would be leaders who calm the chaos, calm the crowds. Like when, and that could be in math class, when all the kids are going, my art teacher, she's the worst. She she assigned, instead of just the odd numbers, every number. I mean, whatever it is where kids are griping, you know, in youth group, when they're like, they assigned us to these buses. I want, you know, whatever the thing is that they're griping about. I've, I've prayed that my kids would be a Caleb, that they would calm the chaos and just, you know, offer a different perspective. And um, so I've prayed that for years. And 
and I don't know why, but I never, and we, y'all, you know this story. Um, and I knew this story, but I didn't know it until I went back and researched. Like, what is going on when Caleb said that? Well, you guys know the story. It's about when Moses sends out the 12 spies. And so he says, hey, go in there and, and look at the land and see what's going on. So I'm going to read it to you. It says, Moses, um, chapter 13, verse 17. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go. Up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what land is. And whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak and whether they're few or many and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or are they strongholds and whether the land is rich or poor and whether they are, there are trees in it or not, be of good cheer and bring some of the fruit while you're at it. Um, bring some of the fruit from the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. And so... And the thing is, whenever there's always a, a command or a call to go, there always has to be an and so. And this and so was they went up. But also, it could have been the and so, they were like, nah, that's too hard. We don't want to go in that land. But there's always an and so to every command. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob and near the Lebo Hamath. And they went up to the Negev and then went up to Hebron, Ammonon, and all these names that you totally cannot pronounce. And they came to the valley of Eshel and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between two of them. And they brought some of the pomegranates and figs. And that place was called the Valley of Echol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. And at the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all of the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation. And they showed them the fruit in the land. And they told him, we came to the land which you sent us. And it flows with milk and honey all right. And this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities, the cities are fortified, and they're large. And besides that, we saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites. And then everybody goes, oh, not the Canaanites. They dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. So then everybody's like, Oh, my goodness. Well, we're not going there. You want us to take our kids there? You're crazy. We're not going there. We're scared of those people. But Caleb. And I've always prayed that my, my kids would be a Caleb. It says, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let's go up at once and occupy it. For we are well able to overcome it. Here's the crazy thing. When Moses sent them out, God had already promised to give it to them. Verse 1 of chapter 13. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. He said, It's yours. Send some people in there. See what they think. See what they think about the land. But I'm giving it to you. And they came back and said, No way. It's, we're too scared. It's horrible. And that's what I said earlier. Listen, God is going to reach kids in your neighborhood. He's going to reach the Brandon Trenthams. He did it, didn't he? And he's going to reach the people in Ghana. And he's going to reach the people in Owasso. He's going to reach the foster care kids. But the thing is, he's going to. Matthew twenty four fourteen tells us that. And this gospel will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. 
So he's going to reach it. In the end, guess what? It all gets figured out. And so we, he just says to the three of us, you want to go with me? Yes, I do. I do. If you're going to reach the Brandon Trentham's, I want to go with you. And so that's what I pray for our family is that we would be Caleb's. That we would say, let's go. We can surely do this. And we don't have to have it all figured out. All we have to do is say yes. And I'm going to pray for us and then we'll be done. Well, Father, I do thank you, God, for what you're doing. Lord, everybody wants a big whoop-de-doo. Everybody wants hype. But you're asking from the three of us, four of us, including Haven, Lord, if we just say yes to you, and I want to do that. So I just pray, God, that whatever is on each one of our hearts that you're asking us to do, God, would you help us to know that you're going to give us everything we need to accomplish that. All you're waiting for us to do is to say yes. And we can trust you with our yes. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to Build. Our desire is to walk with you. We hope the episode helps you better understand your kids and engage with them more intentionally. The Build conversation never ends. Visit fbcawaso.org to stay connected and discover an incredible community of people who are on this journey together. We look forward to building an incredible story with you.